issues affecting patients and the practice of medicine in Wisconsin. I'm your host, Peter Welch, VP of Public Affairs, and joining me today are Lisa Davidson, VP of Advocacy and Membership. Hi, Peter. Hey, Lisa. And Mark Grappentine, Senior VP of Government Relations. Hello, Peter. Hey, Mark. So we're recording this on Wednesday, February 21st, and like all things in the news, these things can change pretty fast. So let's get started. Lisa, you were in D.C. last week. Tell us about your trip. Thanks, Peter. Well, we had an opportunity to be in D.C. for the American Medical Association National Advocacy Conference. I went out there with um, Dr. Deep, our board president, our board chair, Dr. Halverson, and Dr. Mike Miller, speaker of our House of Delegates. Linda Scythe and H.J. Walkoff from the Society also accompanied me on the trip. And we had a couple of uh, purposes behind the trip. Obviously, we were there for the National Advocacy Conference, and part of the conference always includes time for us to go to Capitol Hill. So we had the opportunity to meet with our congressional delegation, this time with members, which is always very helpful to have the uh, physician perspective in the room. In our meetings, we focused on some issues that you've probably heard us talk about um, for a while now, um, continuing to hammer home the need to fix our disparity in Medicare reimbursement. That seems to be an issue that we need to look long term and work in the next Congress to ultimately fix. Um, we also spent some time talking about our concerns with a proposed regulation from the Department of Labor on association health plans. Um, as everyone probably knows, um, the Society through our Holdings Corporation currently operates a plan and the proposed rule um, from the Federal Department of Labor would make it very difficult, if not impossible, for our plan to continue. So obviously we have a lot of concerns and we were able to talk about those last week as well as go through the formal process of submitting written comments, um, ideally having that uh, rule be changed before it is implemented. We also had a chance to meet with our colleagues from other state societies as well as meet some staff from the AMA. Um, since I haven't had a chance to go to a conference before, um, this was a good opportunity for that kind of networking. Um, our Department of Labor meeting is where we had the chance to talk firsthand with the people involved in writing the regulation on association health plans. So clearly we had Linda take the lead on that as our subject matter expert. Um, after the meeting, we felt really good that we made progress with sharing with them our concerns, bringing up some aspects of the rule it seemed like they hadn't thought of. So we're hopeful that we can make some changes to make this more workable for us. We had a really productive trip. Um, at the end of the day, we had some really great pictures, including one of Dr. Deep um, taking a selfie with Stephen Colbert, who happened to be roaming around the halls of Congress. Um, listeners can find some of our pictures, including this one, on our Instagram and Facebook pages. So Lisa, you mentioned the Association Health Plan rule from Department of Labor, but there's action on that as well on the state side. We've got a bill in the assembly, uh, AB 920, that would address some of the uh, rules surrounding association health plans here on the state side. A bill, the bill would allow for these plans to self-insure rather than going through a, a larger insurance provider. It would allow for plans to price risk at their component parts rather than sort of an aggregate over the whole risk pool. Uh, and it, it would allow for these plans to offer uh, to write plans for not just members but uh, other professionals within in what are called industry-based associations. So rather than just physician members, 
to also write for podiatrists or, or chiropractors um, who are in sort of the, the health field as well. Uh, and that bill actually passed in the assembly last night with a couple of different amendments that would make sure that to not exclude any essential health benefits um, from, uh, from those association health plans. So now it's on to the Senate in the form of SB 806, and we're going to be watching that as well. And as maybe it's going to be a theme on this podcast, what happens in the assembly doesn't necessarily happen in the Senate this session. Um, but that, for that, I'm going to pass it on to Mark, who's been haunting the halls of the Capitol here in Madison for what seems like every minute of every day for the last couple of weeks. Mark, what have you been up to? Well, you know, thanks, Peter. And just one last point on the AB 920 stuff, because yeah. I think a lot of us that work in the Capitol that came from different jobs um, learn something pretty quick. And that is when you read about things or hear about things in the news or in the newspaper about a bill or something that's going on in the Capitol. You read about it and you say, oh, that's interesting. All right, well, that's that's uh, that's what what's going on. It's fact. It has to be. Then you're in the building and you start realizing... Facts uh, don't matter? Well, when you're, the, facts are, <laughs> the facts are usually a heck of a lot more than what gets reported. And that's not really to rip reporters or anything. This stuff's complex. It's difficult. You know, they're trying to fit 10 pounds of stuff in a 5-pound bag. I get that in the media. But you find out stuff that is just um, is just blatantly incorrect when it comes to some of the rhetoric. And I think we ran into this on the on the AB 920 stuff. If you read the paper or you look at some of the other advocacy groups out there, they talk about how this bill is designed to rip away uh, benefits from, from the public or members and how it's designed to try to screw up the Affordable Care Act anymore. And, you know, I can Destabilize them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and you, know, you saw that in the floor debate. You, you see it in the newspaper articles. And I think, you know, Dr. Chumley here at the Society, um, you certainly in all your meetings and, and Linda doing her work have done a really good job talking with legislators and staff about, you know, what this really does and how these are real people that are getting health care that the medical society helps bring to them because other options are not available or not affordable. Makes a lot of sense. Sounds good, right? Well, you know, you read the papers and, and it sounds like, you know, we're sneaking up behind babies and stealing their lollipops and, and it's just ridiculous. Now, and, and we're the good guys. You know, we, uh, right. we have a health plan that actually has comprehensive benefits that are exactly what's codified in the Affordable Care Act. So we're, we're really good players on this. Well, I always like to say we wear the white coats and the white hats, yes. right? That's what our members are. And it is the reality. And that's not to say that there aren't, you know, are there shady groups out there that might, you know, do this? They, they kept calling it the, the lemon plans on the, mm-hmm. on the floor of the assembly. You know, there's these lemon plans out there. Well, that's what OCI is there for. The Office of Commissioner of Insurance and the federal government are supposed to be the ones to make sure that these plans are doing what they say, that they're a good product for the public and all that. So it, it's just a little rant. This is my no, rant is of the good. week. How about that, Peter? It's a good clarification because the amendments that we saw passed last night do guarantee you know, certain essential health benefits for you know, that already exist in, in state statute for Different, you know, different insurance providers, and the the final amendment also gave OCI additional oversight over yeah. these. So we're seeing the all the good happen. From this. And I want to harp on this just because it's you know obviously there's a lot of good things that happen in the building. Um, there's a lot of good bipartisan things that happen. Uh, just today, as we're taping, there was a juvenile justice package that that passed in the assembly. It passed 95 to nothing. There were some pretty emotional and I think powerful floor speeches from both Democratic and Republican members. Um, you know, folks that you hear talking on the floor and you think, oh, my God, they do have a heart, you know, and you didn't you didn't think that before. But, you know, they really are there for the right reasons. And so 
I guess the bottom line is on these healthcare issues, and if you ever have questions, if our, I always tell our members, if you have questions about what you hear in the media, and, and I like the media, but if you have questions, let us know and we can fill in the blanks. So, so uh, that's just my very um, wide detour into some other stuff that's been going on. Absolutely. We saw, we saw you know, the Hope Agenda stuff pass 95 to 0, right? Yeah, two bills in the, two bills in the Assembly yesterday, just to set the scene. We, the Assembly and the Senate were both meeting this week, uh, the, both houses in on Tuesday. Uh, the Assembly is also in Wednesday and Thursday of this week. It ostensibly is going to be the final time that the Assembly meets. At least that's the uh, rhetoric right now from the Assembly Speaker, who is positioning to try to get as much of his agenda done without much Senate meddling. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, two hope bills went through. Um, AB 906, which deals more with uh, the law enforcement aspect of the latest, latest dealings, than AB 907, uh, which is designed to try to get more access to treatment. Um, uh, you know, try to try to help the workforce issues that are out there. There's there was also a provision that we we kind of had our, our hands in. Originally, the bill would have required all of the regulatory boards at the state level that regulate uh, professions that can prescribe. So that includes the medical examining board, the nursing board, um, optometry, um, things like that. Um, it would have required them to include as part of their continuing education package that they require for their um, their their um, those that are regulated to include something on, on safe, controlled substance prescribing, which is, you know, obviously we, we are in favor of safe, controlled substance prescribing. However, when you have the legislature weigh in on what should be done by the regulatory boards in, um, in, in what they should do, we get a little nervous because you can easily end up with a big old laundry list of subjects that take up a whole lot of time that in our case, you know, physicians may not really want to take um, a class on a certain thing down the road. We see a lot of um, uh, a lot of states that have a lot of different subject matter requirements that become kind of this cornucopia of things to just get through and endure, as opposed to learning from and t and being an active learner. So instead, uh, you know, we talked with Representative Nigren about this. The the lobbyists for MCW were quite helpful on this as well. And in the end, um, uh, yesterday, last night. Uh, deep into the night, they, uh, Representative Nigren had an amendment that changed that. It took away that subject matter requirement for these regulatory boards and instead is going to re require boards like the MEB to issue periodic reports to both the legislature and the governor about work they are doing on the opioid crisis and how they're being proactive, what kind of goals they want to set, and how they're going to measure those goals. And so we were, were um, as usual, very pleased to have that collaboration with Representative Nigren and policymakers so that um, we're all working together, we're not tripping over each other, but it is kind of a constant battle to ensure that the legislature doesn't weigh in on the practice of medicine, especially the day-to-day -day stuff, or requiring what's, what's educated. So that, that, was, um, that was kind of a fun one. Uh, another thing that happened just today as we were taping, probably about an hour ago, um, the, uh, the Assembly Bill 260, which is the chiropractor's bill that would have mandated that uh, chiros performing sports physicals would be seen as legitimate and schools would be forced to accept those uh, completed examinations as being valid. Um, the state Senate had amended that bill to take out the sports physicals part. There's a lot more things in that bill. Uh, today, what uh, the state assembly took up, took up the bill from the message from the Senate and concurred. And what that means is that they agreed to the changes that the Senate made and then sent it back to the Senate. So long story short, what's going to happen now is that AB 260, in its new form, its amended form that does not include anything having to do with sports physicals, will now go to the governor. And that's a good thing because um, we had been dealing with this bill very early in session. 
A lot of physicians around the state were very concerned about the precedent this set and what the potential safety for adolescents would be, missed opportunities for kids to get their, their visits and things like that. So we're, we're pretty pleased that um, that, that happened. Another, another issue that, that also developed in the last day is something that you see in the headlines both nationally and occasionally at the state level. It's one of those buzz terms. It's called right to try. And right to try deals with investigational drug access and giving folks, just everyday folks, the rights to be able to access investigational drugs that may or may not have much FDA approval and or process. So the original bill that came forward on this was pretty wide open. It would have, um, there were some concerns that we had at the society that are mimicked by others in the national sphere um, that said, you know, this is, this is kind of false hope for some patients where they might be taking drugs that have absolutely no benefit to them and might actually um, make them feel worse. It might, mm -hmm. might worsen the end of their life. Um, it also, problematically for science, is it might have have incentivized patients that otherwise would that would be part of a an actual clinical trial for a drug instead decide to roll the dice and try to get that miracle cure by going to Mexico or something with somebody and I mean this is what happens you know you get on a bus you go down to Mexico they inject you with some stuff and then they they say that it's going to work now that's obviously an extreme example um, but we're concerned that patients would remove themselves from the pool that helps build the science to ensure the best development of drugs that can help the most people with the least amount of harm as quickly as possible. And that really involves the FDA and making sure the FDA is part of it. The state Senate, uh, the Senate Health Committee, ended up amending the bill to make it much less extreme. And in fact, what it does is it matches what happened at the federal level where Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin had championed this issue uh, and then actually amended it himself to make it much more involved, to keep the FDA involved, have data being collected, ensuring that patients have exhausted their resources in trying to get into a clinical trial before trying an, uh, an, investigation, uh, an investigational drug. So. We're pretty pleased about that too. Um, the Senate actually pulled it up out of out of its own um, organizational committee. Uh, it wasn't originally on the calendar, but they pulled it up and and passed it as amended and messaged that over to the assembly too. So, in terms of the hashtag science stuff, that was something that we really um, paid attention to and were really pleased about. And then just just a couple of real quick ones um, that we've talked about in the past on this pod and also in Metagram, uh, your go-to source for the latest in medical society health news. Um, a physician license um, exemption for sports medicine physicians that are visiting into the state as part of a sports team. That made it through um, the uh, assembly floor action, and that's now up to the Senate to decide whether to get that onto the floor. I believe they will. Um, there's a direct primary care program that passed the full assembly as well. It will likely pass the state Senate. That has clarifying language that um, makes it clear that it's legal for physicians to enter into contractual agreements with patients for basic care. It's not insurance, it's not catastrophic care, but it's another option that physicians have to be able to see patients and just take a monthly fee and have a much more, um, uh, probably, probably a more personal experience that physician feels anyway, being able to spend a lot more time with patients that sign up to do this kind of thing. And then one little one, it's kind of a good example of stuff that we uh, we come across during the year that actually um, ends up having an impact that you wouldn't expect. There's a bill, um, AB 876, that deals with eye drop refills. This is something that we worked with the um, ophthalmologists on. 
And what it does is it allows a patient to get a refill of any prescription eye drops uh, as soon as being three quarters of the way through your initial prescription. So there's a famous episode of Friends where they're trying to get eye drops in Rachel's eyes and they have to pin her down and they're spilling it all over. What happens is that people run out of this stuff because a lot of times it's seniors with Parkinson's or they just have difficulty putting things in their eye. They run out of the drug um, before the refill is ready to be filled. And in the past, some of the private insurance companies have denied refills until the prescription's actually up. Um, and obviously that can cause some big problems if you miss your medicine and you need it. So the ophthalmologist came forward with a bill and, and got it through, um, uh, pushed it through. It's, it's actually a pretty big number. It's AB 876, so it shows it was introduced later in the period. But that also made it through um, the assembly floor action. And so we're pretty, uh, that, that's a, a good example of how just some everyday practice of medicine can be affected by some of these bills that you may not hear about otherwise. So stay tuned to Metagram for other things. Um, as we're, as, as we're uh, taping today, there's more action to go in the assembly. We expect the Senate to come in at least one more time in March, and uh, we'll see if the assembly comes back in, if the Senate makes changes to bills and the assembly has to come in and concur on their own. So that's kind of your update as of today. That sounds really positive. Well, you know, we're feeling pretty good. I mean, a lot of this stuff has to do with the physicians reaching out to their legislators and making their voice known about what's right for patients and, and the practice of medicine. And that's why we are here is to be sure we alert physicians as to what's going on in the Capitol, what potential bills are out there and what the ideas are. And the legislators really do want to hear from their physicians in their, in their districts. They, they know they're the experts. They care about what physicians think. And so, you know, we'll do a wrap-up after session finally is done. We're, we're kind of holding on to St. Patrick's Day as the <laughs> double holiday for lobbyists, the obvious <laughs> one, but also the legislature being done for the biennium. Um, and we'll do a summary so that everyone kind of sees what happened during the biennium, including the budget bill. Um, we'll, we'll lay it all bare. Things that we liked that happened, things that we didn't like that didn't happen, but then also some bills that we liked that didn't make it over the line. And then there's always some bills that we didn't like along the line that um, that did make it into law. So we'll we'll uh, let everybody know what those things were. It's always an interesting exercise to go back and look at the biennial session and uh, kind of summarize it all, and that you don't feel so bad about enjoying St. Patrick's Day a little bit more. Well, so, and as we know, these things come back multiple sessions. So things that maybe didn't survive this session will re reemerge. Reanimated. Well, yeah, work comp, right? Work comp fee schedule. It'll we, be uh, back. Yeah, we buried that one for this session, most likely, but it'll be back next session. Well, we will stay tuned. And uh, but, Lisa, what about Congress? Back to the federal side. The next budget deadline is a month away or so. Is that right? Yes. Well, as we've seen, you know, the Congress continues to uh, pass spending bills that are really on you know short-term cycles. And so the current spending bill is set to expire next month, and so they need to pass another spending bill on March 23rd. And so that's probably going to be the last big legislative package that we see move through the Congress this year. So it's probably going to be spending bill plus other things. And that could be good or that could be a little problematic. Um, we're going to continue to monitor that package as it uh, continues to come together. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm hopeful that we might see some of the proposals that were discussed last year be brought into this, perhaps something that would be you know, large in scope with respect to market stabilization. It remains to be seen, um, but for now I'm going to stay optimistic. And once we know the details, that is something that we'll certainly share with you. 
All right, so before we wrap up, we still have to talk about this week's primary for Supreme Court justice. The field has now been narrowed from three to two, and Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Rebecca Dallet and Sauk County Circuit Judge Michael Skrenick will face off April 3rd in the spring election. Mark, any predictions? Yeah, right, like I'm gonna give a prediction. Um, <laughs> you, know, you can predict that there's gonna be a lot of third-party money going into this. Um, you know, Even though these are, this is ostensibly a nonpartisan election, I think it's pretty clear that um, that the sides have lined up. You've got you've got you know the conservatives and the liberal side or the progressive side and the you know whatever you want to say. Um, you know there are some interesting similarities to the last Supreme Court election that that ended up having Rebecca Bradley, uh, a conservative candidate from Milwaukee, take the bench um, because in that primary there were three candidates and the conservative won about 45 percent of the total vote and the progressives ended up winning 55 percent. That kind of worked out about the same way this time, um, and you know whether whether the, the the situation holds this time around on April third. I don't know. There were some initial predictions because of the weather that was happening on mm -hmm. Tuesday in a large part of the state that turnout would be low, but it turns out turnout was not low, and I think a lot of that was because of a lot of the media attention that that came out. Um, there were even some. Um, national celebrities that weighed in on Twitter about who should be voted for. And, you know, it turned out that Wisconsin voters don't really care what these national celebrities think and did not pick the one candidate that, that some of these folks were getting behind. But I think you're going to see a lot of stuff. You'll see, you'll see um, a lot of social media um, purchases. You'll probably get some mail. Uh, you'll, you'll hear some things on the radio. I don't know if they'll go on TV, but it wouldn't surprise me. But it's a big deal because these justices are elected for 10-year terms. Um, this is to uh, replace an outgoing justice, Michael Gableman. Uh, the court's currently considered to be a 5-2 conservative court. Uh, so, you know, this is something that um, um, just about everybody that follows the court uh, is keeping their eye on. So uh, the important thing, I think, for everybody is to, um, you know, dig into what you hear about the candidates. Do your own reading. Don't just go off of what you hear on the radio, uh, you know, so that when you go into the polls on April 3rd, you're making a good choice for Wisconsin, and then you're in these spring elections. Your vote matters more because there were fewer voters by far versus, say, the elections in November, where we'll have massive turnout. It'll be much less, so that your vote counts for more. So be educated and make your vote, and then we'll we'll deal with um, the the new court when it comes in next session. Well, thanks, Mark, and and thanks, Lisa. That will wrap up this edition of WISMED On Call. We'll be back with a special episode on the case before the Supreme Court that's certain to impact the future of healthcare in Wisconsin, Mayo versus the Injured Patient and Family Compensation Fund. If you like what you heard, visit our website, www.wisconsinmedicalsociety.org, and look for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. If you've got suggestions or feedback, send an email to communications at wismed.org. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.